0: This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 9, Episode 12.
1: This is
2: Ready Houston microcasting.
1: Fifteen minutes long, because you're in a
3: hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm, I'm Howard. Howard. And the part of Dan this week will be played by the Houston Mission Control Launch Countdown announcer, as he or she realizes they really need to go to the bathroom. All right, <laughs> Houston, we Okay, microcasting. You've been a pretty good job with me, man. <laughs> um... What writing rule do you break the most? Forgetting to
1: say that Eric Jamestone has joined, joined oh, us for another right. episode. Hey,
3: Eric, how you doing? <laughs> Good. Hey, Eric is joining us again. Yay, Eric. Yeah, I...
2: We're just so used to it now. Yes. We should maybe make him start <laughs> saying yeah, his name with should us. should start
3: saying Eric. On the last episode you're going to do with this. We <laughs> should do Eric. Okay. Um, Behind the scenes at writing excuses. What writing rule do you break the most, guys?
2: Foreshadowing, <laughs> no. Um, what writing rule do I break the most? Um, I'll start the with a
3: Oh yeah, okay, show don't tell.
2: You know, because um, I have never been a big fan of that rule. Uh, I think it's overstated, so I will tell stuff, yeah. straight up.
3: Um, I have been breaking a lot lately the don't-use flashbacks. Because mm. I have entire sequences of them in the Stormlight Archive. Each book has a... 10-chapter flashback sequence uh, interspersed through the books, and it's a pretty big rule to break so flagrantly. Um, but I also do start sentences with and or but all the time. Oh yeah. But so do I. that's one of the dumb rules. That's not a real rule.
0: And I completely agree with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
4: uh, one that I break a lot is that you need to establish your setting uh, in each scene. Mm. Uh, I. I have scenes where I pretty much don't describe where it's going on, and people you know, call that white room syndrome or, or whatever. But to me, a, a lot of the time, the setting isn't really all that important. What's important is the, what the characters are saying to each other. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Right, this, is, this is a neat question that we could almost do a whole podcast on because there's yeah. two kinds of answers. There are, what are the rules that you break that you then go back and fix. Uh, right. Okay, because I do white, I white room a lot because dialogue is what I love, and then I have to go back and unwhite room it.
3: Right. Um, yeah. uh, I overexpose it in first drafts a lot. But then you go back and fix, then it. I fix it. And
1: I yeah. underexpose it And mm. go back the and The rule fix. that I break that, and we can argue at length, though we won't, about whether or not this is a good rule, is turn off your internal editor. Mm-hmm. Um, my internal oh. editor is dialed up to 10 almost all the time while I'm writing, and it slows me way down because I am wordsmithing every sentence as it goes onto the page. Same with me. And that's... Yeah, uh,
2: yeah I, I, we've got a, a whole episode on that, which is the uh, internal heckler versus editor. The heckler versus the editor. editor. So people can go back and look but at it's that. But like,
1: it's, like, it's not my
2: internal editor. It's my internal copy editor.
3: Yeah. yeah. Um, when you review and edit, you print out your novel and mark it up, or do you just work from the document directly? Print, print, print,
1: print. I always print.
2: I used to,
0: and now I don't anymore.
4: I, I print it out uh, when, when I go to my writing group so that I can take notes on it and mark stuff up. And so I have a marked up uh, yep. version of the manuscript. Marked up, red pen, full of stickies.
3: I have never printed out a copy of anything of my own for my own use. Well, that's because you would
2: kill entire forests.
3: Yes, I could. <laughs> but I used to print them up for beta readers back, um, but I don't even do that anymore. Back when
1: Utah readers. had four national forests.
3: Yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I I hate working from paper, in any form. Um, I hate it when editors would send me paper, and I force them to all go digital. Um, when I take notes for my writing group, I take notes in the document with track changes. Yep. While I'm um, listening to the writing group, I I stay away from anything perfect. So yep. very different methods, everybody. How long in between um, finishing a novel and starting the editing process, process for you? Uh,
2: it's pretty immediate.
3: It's immediate for me now. I didn't, don't like it that way. I'd like to have more time, but it has to be
2: yeah. immediate. Now, uh, it also depends on how you're defining the editing process. Because, mm. you know, I'll do... Uh, I'll, I'll do... Because I do a lot of back and forth as I'm writing, mm-hmm. um, and so when I finish, my, my first draft is fairly clean, and I will do some tidying to it, and then I will send it to my editor, and then I have several months before I touch it again.
3: Okay, yeah. How do you guys? You don't have to wait on each one if you don't want to. Okay, let's go to this one. Um, what is the number one issue that you have to overcome every day in order to put words to paper?
1: Inertia. <laughs> yeah. I can't
3: think today I has the dumb. Inertia. Inertia is the right answer. Yeah. I just have to sit down and start doing it and stop checking my email mm-hmm. and stop. I just have to start going. Once I get going, I'm good. Yeah. Um. All right. How do you deal with the fear of writing the other and screwing it up? Now, I will preface this one by saying we've done several podcasts on this topic and hopefully we can find them and stick them in the liner notes for you. Um, you say it in a way that sounds like you have, you've listened to some of these podcasts, and you're really worried about messing it up. You know
1: what? I'm going I, to draw a metaphor from a book from Gavin DeBecker called The Gift of Fear, uh-huh. in which he talks about uh, fear as, well, as a gift. It saves your life, and he talks about how... Uh, it's, a, you know, it's a book about personal safety, and I would say that if you are afraid of getting something wrong that is a fear that will lead you to doing the right homework, doing mm. the right research, paying attention to things, and then moving ahead in a way that is cautious and appropriate, um, I would not seek to—I would only—if if the fear is stopping you from writing, then it's probably a huge problem, but if it's just you're afraid you've gotten it wrong—
2: uh, pay attention to that fear, don't? I'm, as, as someone who's doing a lot of that right now, um, let me be very specific. The fear of getting it wrong comes from not knowing how you can screw up, which is a sign that you haven't done enough research. When you've done your homework, you will know the different ways that you can screw up. And if you don't know what those ways are, if you don't know the different areas that you can misstep the different tropes yeah. for whatever area you are you are dealing with that is not like you. You know, whatever it is, read fiction written by people who are whatever other you're looking at. Whether it's a disability, whether it's a gender, whether it's uh, nationality or race, read fiction by those people. Read non-fiction. Non-fiction. nonfiction essays by those people. And read nonfiction by those by those people read as much as you possibly can and you will know where the pitfalls are. And the more you know, the less terrified you will be. And then understand that you're still going to make mistakes and part of your process is going to be finding people that can reliably help you understand where those mistakes are, but you have to do the homework first.
4: Yeah, excellent. Yeah, and I, I think one of the biggest things is make sure that you are showing respect to whatever other it is that you are writing about rather than just relying on stereotypes. Make, make the character real um, and, and respect the, that. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or Mc Crispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time.
3: And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
4: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah.
3: Book of the week this week is Mary is going to throw up for us. It's called Between Two Thorns. Yes, this uh, Between Two Thorns
2: is by Emma Newman. And um, and it is also narrated by Emma Newman. She is a really she's a wonderful art, author and she's a really wonderful narrator as well. Um, it is basically alongside our world, there is a parallel world of fairy, uh, and that it it's in the nether. It's in this kind of middle region between our world and fairy, and that there's this whole society and social circle. And the people there live for a very, very long time. And when you're in there, you don't age. So children are sent to school outside. Okay. That's and, clever. Yeah, it's just the world building is really smart. There's mm. lots of pretty dresses, which you know I'm a sucker for. Um, so you've got social intrigue, you've got political intrigue, there's action, there's adventure, and there's magic and um and and it's also set in uh, and pretty dresses and pretty dresses <laughs> um and beautifully narrated I may may I also say beautifully beautifully narrated highly recommended
1: audiblepodcast.com excuse start a 30-day free trial membership help support your favorite writing podcast which is writing excuses yay and uh and get a copy of uh, between two thorns
3: for free all right so. Um, when giving a book as a gift, how do you decide the right book to yeah. I like this one because it's very different from the others.
2: Yeah. Um, I look at what the person usually likes to read and then I try to figure out something that will uh, hit those same buttons but be a little off the side.
3: Excellent. That's basically what I do.
4: I look at their Amazon wish list. Ah,
2: nice. And just pick one from that. <laughs> that also works for me.
3: I usually pick something that's by one of my friends that I think that the, my other friend should be
2: Yeah, sometimes I will admit that, that yeah. my answer is, oh, look at this giant pile of books that I've purchased <laughs> because I like this person.
1: I'd and... pull one of the schlock mercenary titles out of inventory and
3: wrap it up. No, and... mm. <laughs> so the answer is almost always pick a Terry Pratchett book. <laughs> Pratchett's not good, great for everyone, but just almost everyone. All right. Uh, any advice for those looking to build a grand universal story for their fantasy book? <laughs> well, oh, when you say a grand universal I don't know. story, grand you just
2: said that's what it is. Grand wrote. universal story. Grand I, universal so an story.
1: overarching mega
2: plot? No, I'm going to guess that this is kind of like uh, Everyman, that this is a story that will appeal to a wide range of people. Oh,
3: see, I was looking at it as a, a universe spanning story. Oh. But universal, I bet you're right. Universal for Mm, yeah. It says Grand Universal.
2: Hmm. hmm. Yeah, we don't know the
1: answer we to We don't that.
3: understand your question. You, um, it's not
1: so. Universal. It's the MGM Grand. Oh,
2: yeah.
3: <laughs> oh, okay. okay. I got nothing. Um, yeah. s- sorry, Martin. Um, if I
2: knew the answer to that, I would probably be a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> huh.
3: um, is there a place you go that inspires you to write or that helps you think?
4: When I was writing Unforgettable, I... Uh, the, the novel that I just sold to Bain, the publisher that can now be named. Yay! Um, I actually wrote a lot of it at Denny's and various other restaurants that were open late because I had set myself a goal to write a certain number of words per day and often it would be late in the night and I had not yet written my word goal so I would go somewhere... Uh, where I could get some food to eat and sit there with my computer and okay, write.
1: Okay, so thumbs up or thumbs down? Moon's over Miami.
4: Uh, never eaten Okay.
2: Be a thumb sideways for yeah. moon. Um, for me, it's usually usually when I'm I'm needing inspiration, you know, and mm. I'm not writing. Um, I will go someplace that I do not have Wi-Fi. Oh. nice.
3: Okay, uh, here's an interesting one. Adam asks, do you ever have a hard time letting go of characters, whether or not it's because you have to kill them off or because you've reached of your book's story?
1: Yes. Oh, yes. So many times, yes.
3: I'm actually going to say not as hard a time as people would think. Um, for me, when a character dies, it's because I've been planning it, usually for months, if not years. So I've had plenty of time to get used to it. And beyond that, when I end a story, I have in my head what happens for years past that. Mm-hmm. I know it all already, and so it's done for me. Uh, I have I feel no compulsion really to go back, um, though I do sometimes when I finish a story because I've already done it in my head.
2: I am not sure. I'm about to. Fin- I'm writing the last of the five books in the Glamorous Histories cycle. And um, and it's funny because I'm in this weird, bittersweet area. I wrote the first book in 2006, and my career really started taking off in 2008, but the book didn't come out till 2010, the first book. So most of my career, I've had these books. and, and I know that I've, I want to do a finite number of them. And I'm it's like I like these characters. I have other stories that I could tell with them, but I also know that it's totally the right thing to do to have a finite set number.
4: Yeah.
1: I, the, the case where I find myself most often missing a character is when, and this is going to sound just childish and non-professional, when I have sent that character off to another scene and they'd be super, super useful in this <laughs> scene <laughs> because I need them to deliver the punchline, but no, I can't have that character right now because I put them someplace else.
3: asks. When is, it, when is description too sparse, and at what point does it turn purple? How do you find a balance, especially for setting and action sequences?
1: Okay, this is easy. What you do is you take everything that's not between quotes, and you copy that out and put it into a text file, mm-hmm. all right? And now, <laughs> you, I, you know what, I can't, I, I can't keep yeah. going. I'm sorry. There's oh. no formula. Yeah,
4: yeah well, it depends on your genre. It mm-hmm. depends on what length you're writing at. If mm-hmm. you're writing short fiction, you know, or flash fiction, then you can get by with pretty much no description. But Terry I, I Bisson's do, "They're Made of Meat", meat yes. is
1: total white room and is one of the great science fiction stories of all time.
3: But I do want to highlight this idea: of how do you how do you keep your prose from turning purple? Um, because this is this is something. Um, hard even for me as a professional writer where I'll be writing along sometimes and notice I've gone purple for a paragraph which is different from what other people may think is purple and things like that and, and it's and kind of an individual thing.
2: Probably explain what purple prose is for mm-hmm. the for for new listeners who might not be uh, not be aware. This is prose that is uh, overly ornamented and and mm-hmm.
3: florid yeah. and and calls attention to itself right. and maybe showing off too many of your big words and mm-hmm. things like this. But Purple prose is also, has to be in context, Mm -hmm. context. Um, I've shared the story with you guys many times where I wrote a really zinger of a paragraph in one of my, in my first book that I published. And my editor wrote, you can't be Gene Wolfe for one paragraph, or for one sentence, granted. And what he was saying is, if you, if your whole book is one style of prose and you stop for a paragraph, then that becomes purple even if it, in someone else's book, would match the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was really eye-opening to me that I have to be very careful about where I add those flourishes and how I go into it. Um, I will usually flourish a little bit more at the beginning of a chapter and flourish less and less as I go through the chapter. Just because by then, people are paying attention, hopefully, to the story and characters.
1: If you're using the words because the words themselves are evocative and what you are evoking fits the story, then you're probably okay. If you're using the words because that's a really cool word um, and you're proud that you know the oh. definition, oh, you well, I don't definitely know. crossed that the time, line. Yeah. Though, yeah. When you,
3: we were bragging to each other about places we found to use awesome words. I build words.
1: situations yeah. in which
3: <laughs> that is the evocative word. Yeah.
2: Right. So, um, as a
4: rule of thumb, I have heard you shouldn't, you basically should limit yourself to no more than three items of description about anything yeah. that you're describing, unless it becomes really important to describe more about it. Um, and uh, don't use more than two adjectives in a row in describing something.
3: Let's do, uh, let's do, let's do a writing prompt. All right. OK. Um, let's have Howard. Will you do a writing prompt? Um, certainly. Certainly. Um,
1: the word sesquipedalian means uh, 18 inches long, and there's really not a good place to use that word, except when you're talking about really long words, use the word sesquipedalian, uh, in a way that fits your story.
3: All right, this has been Writing Excuses, you're out of excuses, now go write.
0: If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror.